Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast where we are going back in the time machine to May of the year 2000 to bring you the second WWF episode for the month picking up immediately following the Insurrection pay-per-view covering the rest of the month for the Fed including a review of Judgment Day 
Uh, joining me, we have Daniel DeWitt. Daniel, good to have you back on the show. Thank you. Yeah, uh, thanks for welcoming me back. Yeah, it's been a while since I joined you on for uh, WWF. I think off the top of my head, I think it might have been Armageddon December time when I last looked at WWF in, in this respect. But yeah, yeah, yeah. sounds right. Been a maybe a decent decent month. Looking forward to going through it. Yeah, and certainly. Uh different shall we say from the last show you were on full stop which was what wcw yes yes uh for those who listened to wcw april 2000 well done for listening to it it was a long show and a lot to talk about but then that's that's what the russo return did to us (laughs) and although uh this is much much calmer much more relaxing and although we have an hour main event Something tells me the uh, pay-per-view will be slightly easier to get through than uh, Spring's Spring Stampede was. Yes, definitely. So we'll jump straight in with our TV coverage before we get to Judgment Day, which was three weeks or so into the month. Obviously, we had insurrection during the first week of the month. And uh, back from the UK, we had an interesting week of TV lined up as The Rock, WWF champion, you may remember, Um he wasn't at Raw or SmackDown this week because he was still in England. He was filming scenes for the movie The Mummy Returns, which is his first movie role. So something to look out for there in the future. Maybe The Rock picking up a few film roles here or there, having to take time away from the company. As it happened, it was only only a week he missed, so nothing major here. But we'll have to see how that one goes. The tone for uh, this Raw uh, was set during an early promo on the show um, from the McMahon-Helmsley group. Uh, Hunter cut a promo talking about the 60-minute Iron Man match uh, in the main event of Judgment Day against The Rock, and uh, Vince was on the mic when he was interrupted by Chris Jericho. So after some verbal back and forth, Vince guaranteed that Jericho would not leave the arena with his intercontinental title, and he booked him to defend the belt against Kurt Angle. So that match was up next, and after a good five-minute contest, Jericho retained his title via submission. So things were not going to plan for Vince McMahon. We saw the Big Show confront Shane backstage. Shane uh, tried to manipulate the Big Show, telling him he wanted to motivate him into becoming a champion, and he baited him with an icy title shot tonight. Um, That match was made official. Jericho was in action for a second time. Uh, During that match between Chris Jericho and the Big Show, a video played of Shane talking on the phone earlier after his conversation with the Big Show. He was talking about how he's got Show completely wrapped around his little finger, has him brainwashed, and Shane owns him. Show was naturally pissed off about what he saw, so he went after Shane at ringside and chased him to the back. This was about three minutes into the match with Jericho, so Jericho again retained his title, but this time via countout. But that wasn't enough of Vince. After all, he had made one of his famous Vince McMahon guarantees. He booked Chris Jericho defend the title once again, this time in the main event of Raw against Chris Benoit. Triple H was at ringside for this match as an enforcer, uh, checking on the referee. And as expected, late in the match, Hunter laid out referee Mike Yoda um, and deliberately missed Benoit tapping to the walls of Jericho. But when uh, Benoit later in the match had the crossface, on Jericho, Hunter called for the bell without Jericho even tapping. This gave Chris Benoit the victory and the Intercontinental title. So the McMahon-Helmsley dynasty 
uh, they screwed Chris Jericho out of his title on the first Raw of the month. So last month in April, Dan, we had um, the Raw sort of built around Chris Jericho with a storyline where it looked like he'd become WWF champion and defeated Triple H. And a few short weeks later, I mean, a lot has happened since then. We've had Backlash, Insurrection, The Rock's the champion now. Um, Here we are again with an episode of Raw almost entirely built around Chris Jericho. Granted in the absence of The Rock, but what what did you make of this episode of Raw and kind of how they handled Jericho? Does this speak sort of like they see Jericho as someone who could be plugged into that main event scene as sort of like the baby face in the baby face role in the absence of the rock, or is it just sort of convenience and circumstance that they're without the rock? So they need someone, they need to do something for the show. And this was just sort of a one week storyline to fill in the, fill in the gap. Um, maybe a little bit of the latter, but no, I, I do think Jericho's um, certainly someone they see, they now sort of see it as a sort of possibly, um, number two sort of babyface in the company, not just with The Rock being away. But like you say, last month they they uh, had a, had the episode with Jericho against Triple H, and they keep, they seem to be sort of keep on focusing on sort of Jericho versus well, it's kind of Jericho versus Stephanie almost really in this sort of feud. So I'm guessing they're sort of building to um, Jericho versus Triple H, or they can see that happening sort of down the road, maybe now um, sort of in the next few months Triple H's as the main sort of heel, they'll probably build him to maybe if they want to keep um, Triple H and The Rock separate for a month or two, just to change it up again. And you've got someone different for Triple H to feud against. And yeah, like I say, Jericho's sort of um, chemistry with Steph seems to work really well. The crowd are fully behind him on that. And um, yeah, I, th- I think they'll they'll continue to push him. Maybe he might not necessarily beat Triple H or anything like that. But um, but yeah, I, I think it's I think it's a good thing. It's always good to have more than one focus on a on a show, and then for someone when the Rock's not there, works really well for their favour. And even with the Rock being back, it, it can give them sort of more avenues to to go down rather than just relying on on the Rock and just relying on Triple H. Maybe they should do they can do something like that on the heel side as well. Have someone maybe I don't know like. I'm trying to think, uh, yeah, possibly Benoit, Angle, someone like that, be a more more of a focus on the secondary side, on the secondary sort of heel side. So then you don't have to just rely on one or two people. Like sort of sometime last year, the reliance on Austin felt a bit too much sometimes, as good as it was. But to have yeah more more people to focus on rather than just one or two can only be a good thing, I think. Yeah, I agree with you, and I, I think this episode, although it ended with Chris Jericho losing his title probably did more for him than the entirety of that episode back in April where uh, obviously it looked like he'd won the title after the fast count but then just sort of meekly handed the belt back and then ended up pinned and beaten by the end of the show Um, yeah obviously the moment of him winning the belt was incredible but it was kind of obscured by the rest of that episode of Raw where they kind of made him look like a bit of a geek and here he lost but they they did it in the right way he had a convincing win over over Kurt Angle he uh, obviously had the count out win against Big Show but that kept other storylines going so it makes sense within the context of the show and in the main event he was screwed over he wasn't just like demolished Triple H didn't just like 
pedigree him and he got pinned, he got he got screwed. Like it and that's the way you you if you're gonna beat a baby face that you're trying to build, this is the way you do it. You don't you don't do what they did back in April. So this maybe shows me that they do have some big plans for Jericho and he could be pushed into that main event scene. Um the idea of a triple H Jericho program um is great and as you say he's got good chemistry with Stephanie and uh We've had plenty of good lines and promos, um, uh, particularly when he's going after Stephanie. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if that's how they go. Obviously, a lot changes between this this episode of Raw and the end of the month that we'll uh, get into, particularly with Triple H. But, um, I mean, this certainly feels like laying the foundations for a program that could carry you through a few months where you're actively not doing the rock versus triple h and you need you need something else to do and this this will pay off and make that program feel more credible if and when it happens so yeah a big positive and i'm glad they're kind of writing the wrongs of the fallout from that raw in april which i in hindsight i think it may have done some damage to jericho and this time it looks like they've recognized that addressed it and are doing it the right way Yes, yeah, just to go back. I think the one in um, that uh, show in April did fit, almost feel like, a, oh, we haven't got, we're not using the rock in this way, so we'll just use, we'll just use Jericho for this week, and then it, or, already by SmackDown, it was kind of almost, and that's done. That was just like a one-off sort of odd occurrence of, of, of Raw, whereas, yeah, this one did actually feel like it was a an investment. Yeah, and I, I, and one that I certainly hope will will pay off down the line. So yes. yeah, a good a good start um, to the rest of the month's TVs, um, which is an impressive thing to say when uh, you're missing obviously Stone Cold Steve Austin, but also The Rock, and you're still putting on a good quality Raw. Um, just shows how much of a good place the WWF are in at the moment. Wait a minute! people should have been punished for and that didn't happen and that's my fault this whole era thing that's going on in the world wrestling federation is my fault because i'm the guy that started these wheels in motion that should be punished is me so i'm going to take this time right now to resign what as the commissioner of the world wrestling federation i don't believe i invited you but since when does Shawn michaels ever need an invitation here in the world wrestling federation for what it's worth i was invited here tonight by the uh ceo and president of the world wrestling federation your wife linda mcmahon Thanks to your lovely wife, I have two, two announcements. I am now the official spokesperson for the World Wrestling Federation. The second announcement is I ought to be the special referee this Sunday at Judgment Day. 
you were known as the most resilient WWF champion of all time, without question. I just wonder, how resilient are you now? <laughs> Uh-oh, JR. That man swelled him up. Yeah. Is that true? So moving on to the following week, the next episode of Raw, and we have the return of Shawn Michaels on the Go Home Show for Judgment Day. So it's the first time in the year 2000 um, we have Shawn Michaels on Raw, and he's out to start the show. He says there are a lot of things that have gone on um, that people should have been punished for, and and they weren't, and that is his fault. He says that he's got a number of priorities in his life. The Shawn Michaels Wrestling Alliance, the Texas Wrestling Academy, and more importantly, his beautiful wife, Rebecca, and his four-month-old baby boy, Cameron, um, to which the crowd cheered. He said, as a result of all of that, he hasn't been good at, at his job as WWF commissioner, so he's going to resign from the role. Um, he reminded us that this era of the WWF can be seen as his fault. He put the wheels in motion. Uh, on the first ever SmackDown last August, when he helped Hunter retain the title against The Rock after a super kick, um, Vince interrupted at this point. Um, after some back and forth, Sean made his second announcement. What he was really here to tell us, he would be the special guest referee for the Iron Man match at Judgment Day, and the segment ended with Sean shoving Vince to the mat. Dan, what did you make of the return to? TV of Shawn Michaels, as I say, first time this year, um, and uh, sort of his involvement for Judgment Day. He tried to frame it in the sense that, like, he's he's the king of the sixty-minute Iron Man match, so that's that's why he's here. Um, what's your take on all of this? Yeah, far be it from Shawn Michaels to miss up to not miss an opportunity to put himself over as the best in the world, or, or however he wants to frame it. But um, no, it's good to see him back. Um, like I say, um, kind of almost a shame though he's going as the commissioner because that could have been a role where he was like the foil against the McMahon Helmsley sort of faction, um, which has kind of been missing a bit this whole year. And yeah, we're in we're in May now, and it's his first appearance as someone who's was quite a bit of a quite on TV quite a, a reasonable amount sort of last year yeah I th- I'm trying to think past that first Smackdown when he was last on TV and that might be it actually that's that last Smackdown I can't off the top of my head pitch another time when he was when he was on no, so yeah as this commissioner sort of matchmaking character for him to just then disappear at the same time when then Vince was off and then yeah Tribulation definitely took control. It was a bit odd that we didn't have a uh, someone going up against them in that respect. But Shawn Michaels' role would suggest he was that character. But then, yeah, so then for him to come back now and then drop that role straight away was a bit, a bit disappointing. But whether they'll do a commissioner type role again, or we'll just be deaf with the McMahon's in charge again, who knows? Um, and then for the referee announcement, um, yeah, I like it. It adds, I mean, the match itself's already sort of built up quite well. I match is 
rare. So not seen one since '96. Like not uh, for the full hour, and then you have to have Shawn Michaels in there. It just adds another, adds another sort of flavour to that match. Like when I was what, going watching this Raw before the pay per view, um, thinking, oh yeah, interesting to see what he, how his role is in that match. Yeah, and he, I mean, he's got an interesting dynamic, really. Um, I like that they explained, or he explained his absences and sort of listed the other stuff he's got going on in his yes. life away from the WWF and kind of made it feel a bit more real life. And as you say, like there's a bit of a power vacuum um, on Raw when Vince went away and like uh, Hunter and Steph were running things and have been running things for a long while until Vince came back in the build up to WrestleMania. And you'd, you'd think you'd have your commissioner on TV, um, but obviously he had other priorities, and I like that they told us them. Um, yes, and sure, he'd he, answer those questions, yeah. He recognised them, he addressed them, and he has resigned from the role as a consequence. He can't just rock up after all this time and and resume. Um, he's sort of paid the price for those consequences, and I think it made him feel um, a bit more based in reality. And I think that the fact he resigned um, from the role also went a long way in sort of <laughs> maybe. I mean, with Shawn Michaels, you're always going to veer with caution that he's going to side with Vince or primarily Hunter. Like, he's going to referee a match between The Rock and Hunter. And I mean, he brought up the SmackDown. <laughs> where he super the rock and helped Triple H retain the title, like yes, um, almost sort of telegraphing it in a way, going yeah. I've done it before, could I do it again? And the fact that he's resigned from his role maybe is kind of the step towards addressing that balance, so that we think, well, actually, he has kind of moved past that now. He recognizes that he's got shortcomings and he hasn't done his role properly, so he's addressed that and resigned and. This is maybe a different, more balanced Shawn Michaels. He's got he's got a kid now, and he's he's got his resting school and other stuff going on. So I think it made sense in the reality of the storyline and making it feel more real. But it also made sense in terms of the pro wrestling storyline that we have playing out in front of us. That Shawn Michaels is this referee, but he may he may just call this one down the middle, <laughs> which. We have enough going on against the Rock that you you don't need a uh, a screwy referee in there as well, especially yeah. for a sixty minute match where it could get a bit a bit much having a biased ref. Exactly, yeah, because you could have easily seen. I mean, they did it for backlash with um, Shane as the coming in as as a ref and, and such, but but um, so I'm glad they didn't repeat that again but yeah to then but then to have Shawn Michaels in yeah sort of address, maybe address that balance especially his sort of reactions to Vince at the end of the, that promo yeah I, I think it adds an, an interesting layer to the pay-per-view for the main event that already had enough of a selling point with the fact that you've got as you say the first one in a number of years a 60 minute Ironman match um, as your main event and uh, 
but you add in the guy who was one half of that the last time you did it very successfully, then I think you've uh, added another layer of intrigue. So, yeah, uh, another good move from the WWF here heading into Judgment Day. And with that, we will move into our review of the Judgment Day pay-per-view. Would you mind kicking us off with the the results? Certainly. Okay, so the results. First off... Grandmaster Sexay Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati defeated Edge, Christian, and Kurt Angle in a six-man tag team match. Next, Eddie Guerrero defeated Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn in a triple threat match for the European title. Shane McMahon defeated The Big Show in a Falls Count Anywhere match. Chris Benoit defeated Chris Jericho in a submission match for the Intercontinental Championship. And Road Dogg and X-Pac defeated the Dudley Boys in a tag team tables match. And in our main event, Triple H defeated The Rock 6-5 in a 60-minute Ironman match for the WWF Championship. What did you make of this show? I thought it was really good. Um, as I just went through there, only only the six matches, the first, first sort of five, sort of flew by. And then I honestly thought the Iron match could, could drag on me, and we'll talk about it more in detail when we get to the match itself. But again, that seemed to go by quite quickly i think the the full show itself was just over two hours 45 which on the shorter side for for pay-per-views but, but no i i i sort of enjoyed enjoyed it all the way through there's no there's no sort of down points really uh, i'd say quite easy to watch quite simple and um yeah sort of enjoyed every single match it, it, to a point all the way through really yeah, I think this was a another good show. Uh, definitely not the heights of of backlash, but um, if you throw this this pay per view anywhere in nineteen ninety nine, I think you have one of the better shows of the year. Um, yeah, it flew by. The it's just night and day. The WWF undercards this year. Um, they've got so much, so many more talented workers in these undercard matches as opposed to. I mean, not even that long ago, really, when the undercards were quite slow and plodding. And, I mean, they had a perfect opener here that the crowd could not have been more invested for. Um, had a bit of comedy, but the crowd was so into so many of the spots. Um, and you have a lot of talent as well that wasn't necessarily on this show, um, which isn't a bad thing, because it just shows that you've got a very deep roster and a lot of talented guys. And you can keep things fresh. So, yeah, this was a a really strong pay-per-view um, in a run of some very good shows, or um, with the exception of WrestleMania, really, um, so far this year for the WWF. And uh, long may it continue. Certainly, yeah. It's, it's bizarre to say that yeah, the WrestleMania was the, the one sort of blip on this on this run, but yeah. The whole of 2000 so far has been stellar, really. And yet, going, as you say, with the talent, I mean, you've got the the Radicals, Kurt Angle, just to name a few of the people on there. And I think going back to 99, and I think you could have easily, the people we didn't have on the show who, oh, we didn't, I didn't think I necessarily missed anybody. There wasn't anyone thinking, oh, I wish these people were on the show, speaking of the undercard. But I mean, I think last year we possibly would have had matches featuring those people in just 
generic nothing matches that would have just been on as pay-per-view filler matches. I mean, like Val Venus, whose name springs to mind just off the top of my head, is someone who could have easily had a match on this pay-per-view, but there's no reason to really. So, no. so didn't. But this time last year, probably would have done just because he was on the he was a mid carder, so you'd put him in a match for the sake of having a match. And yeah. I hate to, sorry, Karen. Um, but yeah, this one, this pay for you seemed like a, a sort of bit of a more streamlined. We'll just put the matches on. We have to, we need to have one for storylines or for titles, and then that was it, really. Yeah, and the fact that they had to block out sixty minutes of actual match plus all the hoo ha before and afterwards for the main event. Sure means that they have to be laser focused on the rest of the card and, and only put on really what what is necessary and it, it definitely works in their favour to my mind and I mean there's a big omission of like any prolonged nonsense with a few of the women on the roster um, which is a welcome change um, and I think this is the kind of thing that maybe they've learnt from Wrestlemania where I hate to keep harping on it but obviously it's not that long ago. No single matches, singles matches on the cards, and that that kind of felt like throw everyone on there, and it it felt blocky. It felt crowded. None of the matches clicked very well. Whereas here, as you say, streamlines a great word. Sort of cut down, focused on the matches they needed to focus on. Um, everyone had time as well, but nothing was rushed. Even though they had the hour main event, um, all the lower card matches certainly had enough time. Um, maybe some of them could have done with more, but yes. that's always going to happen on the undercard of a pay-per-view. I, I imagine you're not going to get 15, 20 minutes too often, um, if ever, really. So, yeah, I, I think this was, while not at the level of backlash, this was certainly a very good show. So after the opening pyro, we cut backstage to Vince McMahon. He's with the rest of the McMahon-Helmsley faction in the locker room and giving everyone a pep talk. Um, Gerald Briscoe's there uh, should note with the hardcore title around his waist but Vince makes him go get coffee for everyone as he hypes everyone up we get a shot of Briscoe getting attacked by some mid-carders including the headbangers in the hallway with a referee chasing but he manages to get away we're ready for our first match uh, Kurt Angle's out on the mic he claims that um, since he's joined up with his partners Edge and Christian um, teenage girls everywhere think he's all that and Edge and Christian join him in a five-second pose. The three of them then don some full te- false teeth and strum some banjos, stomp their feet as a makeshift jug band, before eventually the trio of Rikishi, Grandmaster Sexy and Scotty Too Hotty make their entrance to a big pop, and we are underway in our first match. Tuchel hits some corner splashes to get us started, um, before Sexy sends Edge into the turnbuckle, followed by a missile dropkick. Scotty runs over Christian with a shoulder tackle and a suplex, followed by a moonwalk. We do a spot where Edge, where Edge tries to get involved, but Sexy crotches him on the top rope and sends him into the turnbuckle. Tuchel then hit a double clothesline on Christian and a drop toll hide to send Edge into Christian's groin. Sexy did his dance routine and his trousers fell down and Scotty laughed. Rikishi's in against Angle and Angle avoids a splash attempt. Rikishi takes Scotty in. Scotty hits the bulldog on Christian. Teases the worm, but Angle hits the clothesline to break it up. Angle and Scotty exchange punches before Scotty hits a stun gun that sends Christian into the top rope. And leads to Scotty making the hot tag to Rikishi. 
Rikishi cleans house with some punches, a headbutt to Edge, and whips all three heels against the turnbuckle in the corner and hits a running splash before the stink face follows for Angle. Edge sends Sexy out of the ring. Christian and Angle hit a double DDT on Rikishi, but Rikishi no-sells it, and it's a clothesline on the two men. Edge then hits a spear on Rikishi before Scotty hits a bulldog on Edge, and the fans go crazy. Scotty does the worm on Edge, hits the chop to, to the chest. Rikishi goes for the Rikishi driver, but Christian nails him with the ring bell, but Teddy Long is distracted. Grandmaster Sexy comes off the top with a hip-hop drop. Kurt is moments too late in his save attempt, and the faces pick up a hot, uh, the win in a hot opener just before the 10-minute mark. What did you make of our opening match? Oh, as you say, very hot opener and very entertaining throughout. Um, I think going going into it, I would have sort of thought that it, the team of Edge, Christian, Kangle would sort of maybe sort of be a bit much for for, for two cool, not so much Rikishi, but Grandmaster and Sexy and Sky Toy is a team you'd probably pick as a bit lower down the the pecking order than Edge and Christian, but no, completely. Against that, the, the crowd definitely fully behind Too Cool, massively so, very, very loud. Like, surprised me, and but rightly so. This was very entertaining, great stuff from from all those involved. And um, yeah, like the, there was a just right amount of comedy in there, but not too much to make it like a, a joke of a match, really. And yeah, all all the spots sort of ticked all the boxes, really. Great way to open a open a pay per view. Everyone's up, ready for it, and yeah, I suppose that makes sense with for two core winning. Start the night off with the crowd up on their feet, getting um, getting to cheer that this this trio really, and um, not much else really from what to say apart from what you've already said. Very very entertaining, very over, and um, couldn't have done much better with it really. Yeah, perfect little opener, really good comedy. But as you say, not too much comedy. He was sprinkled throughout the match, as always is going to be a place when you've got two cool in there and Rikishi and Angle and Edge and Christian doing what they're doing at the moment. Who It must be said, I mean, Angle is still very, very new and very early in his career. Um, but, it, like, he's more than just an amateur wrestler, a very successful amateur wrestler, as we know. But um, he's got... He deserves an enormous amount of credit for the development of the character side of things. I know he's just doing some wacky mid-comedy with Edge and Christian before the match, but he's great on the mic. He's not afraid to be wacky and be silly, and he pulls it off. He's he's a very charismatic, very, very funny addition to this roster, and he can go as well. Like He's got some serious, like, well, obviously, real-life credibility, but you get a good match out of him and he's a very good worker very early on. And I think he's, he's got the character side down as well. Um, even if it is mid card comedy, if you give him mid card comedy, you get great mid card comedy. And I think that's a credit to Kurt Angle. I think he's come a hell of a long way. Um, yes. It's crazy. Few short months. Less, he's less than a, a year into his, not just his WWF career, but his career full stop. And yeah, like I say, he's, he's, pretty much sort of hitting sort of every aspect perfectly comedy promos in general both sort of funny and and serious and then you know, in, in ring was the one was the one where you kind of figured that's where he'd get it correct first yeah and 
though that wasn't much of a surprise, but the rest of it, he's sort of very much hitting all of these marks and very early on for a lot of, if you look at any other wrestler, you say, well, he's got one part and then a few years later he develops the next and the next and so forth. But no, for Kurt Angle to, to be hitting, all, hitting all, all the sort of check marks you want for a great wrestler so early on, it just makes you think about what could be the next six months or next year however long for him just depending on where where Vince and the others see him really yeah I, I think he's got an enormous ceiling loads of potential um, this is slightly ridiculous comparison but please bear with me uh, um, well, I mean when you think about sort of the the character side of things and the, the sort of the comedy the, the silliness, the charisma, and the promos. Like, and when did he make his TV debut? November last year. Um, and he's got all that to a very, very good level, very promising level in that amount of time. And you look at how long it took someone like The Rock to become the rock we know and love today, and a few more struggling a few years early in the career that were a bit more of a struggle for him particularly in that regard and someone like Kurt Angle comes into the business relatively new to the whole thing um, and uh, can get to this level who is and uh, again I must reiterate he's not on the rocks level but I mean he's the level he's at now is very promising for how long he's been in the WWF and how long he's been in the business so I think he's got loads of potential um even if it and and he can work at a level that is above mid-card comedy opener he can work at a potentially one day main event level um so when you put those two together you've got a potentially main event level superstar on your hands certainly so, moving on, we have a triple threat match for the European title uh, with Eddie Guerrero defending against his fellow radicals, Perry Saturn and Dean Malenko. So, Dean and Perry team up against Eddie from the off and shake hands, but Saturn is the first to double cross. He turns on Malenko uh, with a clothesline. Eddie goes low on both guys, hits a Harakamara on Dean. He tries a head scissors, but Dean slams him down. Malenko goes for the cloverleaf, but drops it to hit Saturn. Dean and Eddie fight over Superplex, but Saturn comes in and uh, drops Eddie on the top rope and uh, hits a belly-to-belly. Saturn adds a f- hits a frog splash to, the, to Guerrero and then a Texas Cloverline to Dean, but Eddie sends Saturn over, walks into a backdrop suplex. Dean adds a splash of his own, but can't cover because Saturn's there to break it up. China then knocks Saturn down with her bouquet of roses. And Dean tries to wrestle them away from her, but winds up knocking himself out of them. Eddie rolls him up for the win just before the eight-minute mark, before revealing there's a lead pipe in the bouquet of flowers. Very sneaky. What did you make of this? Uh, this, this was this was brilliant. I, I love this. I mean, it only went eight minutes, but what a great eight minutes we had! Sort of very technical, very fast-moving, very fast-paced throughout i mean you, you can tell that these these three have wrestled each other sort of off and on for the past three four years 
in you know, whether it be ECW, WCW, or or now, and it showed sort of, sort of really slick throughout. Um, and yeah, every t- any time I see sort of any combination of these of these three, and and also sort of Benoit, I'm I'm happy because I know I want to get entertained in a with a great sort of wrestling, a technical wrestling match, and I know yeah, well, I wasn't disappointed at all. Um, and but then yeah, with the the sneaky sort of Eddie finish at, at the end, I did, I did quite like that. It's nice um, to add to his character, him and China's sort of character going forward. It wasn't just a, a technical match with a, a nice technical finish. There was a was a bit of story to go with it as well. Yeah, it was fast paced, good action, just a, a very well put together, well structured triple threat match. Um, it was a shame. I thought the crowd would have been slightly more into it than they were, but. I mean, when you start with too cool and a lot of dancing and comedy in the opener, and then you move into a very work-based match, maybe you're going to get a slight drop-off, especially when sort of the two guys playing heel in the match, Malenko and Saturn, um, haven't had or haven't shown an enormous amount of personality so far in the WWF. Maybe it's a bit harsh. Um, I mean... And that's certainly a criticism that's been levelled at Milenko for a long time, but I think there's more to come from from both men. But so far, maybe maybe you could attribute it a bit of the crowd's flatness to that. I mean, they, they weren't completely dead. Um, it, it was fine, but there was quite a noteworthy drop off, I thought, from the opener. But um, regardless of that, the work was still very good. The finish I liked as well. So yeah, another thumbs up. Um, two for two on a good, positive matches so far on this show. Well, next up we have the big show taking on Shame at Man in a Falls Count Anywhere match. So we're quite likely to see a slight drop off in work rate <laughs> compared mm. to the uh, last match. So Shane jumped over the top onto Big Show, but Show caught him, drove him into the ring post. Show gave Shane a body slam on the bottom half of some steel steps before giving him a gorilla gorilla press slam over the top rope back into the ring. Show with a clothesline followed by a kick before Bossman goes into the ring and hits Show in the back of the leg with the nightstick. Show comes back with two headbutts and gave Bossman a powerbomb. Test and Albert then join in the fun. They've got some steel chairs, but Show knocks the chairs out of their hands with some punches. Trish is there too. She goes low on the big show, but he no-sells and tosses her out of the ring onto TNA. Uh, Shane escapes to the entrance area where Show rips apart some of the scaffolding, prepares to throw it at him, but Shane drops kicks him in the face. TNA jumps Show again from behind, but Shane goes up the set, trying to run away, but Big Show catches him. Bulk Buchanan's out next. He runs out, hits Show with another nightstick. Uh, they team up um, and put a speaker over on the Big Show, and Shane hits him in the head with a cinder block, and that's enough for the pinfall win after eight minutes. Shane McMahon defeats the Big Show. How how have we ended up here? <laughs> what did you make of this? It, it was it was it was fine. I mean, yeah, I, it, it went the way it was. Uh, only ever going to go really I mean how else could you really book this it start off Big Show dominating as he's the giant beating up Shane and then Shane's friends come out and help him it was always going to go that way I think it was just only a matter of time as to how quickly they did it 
Um, still showed off a big show quite quite well and fighting them off for as long as he did, I, I suppose. But yeah, it was only ever going to go sort of one right one way really, especially with the number of people who who interfered. Like they had, I think, the SmackDown before sort of a similar similar result really so um yeah not as you said a drop off in technical quality of course from the last match but it was fine but yeah nothing more than a bit of a a handicap match really for Shane and friends versus the big show yeah I mean I might have sounded a bit harsh on the match um during my recap there but it was a reasonably entertaining brawl Shane did take a lot of good bumps here, making show look like a bit of a monster, but I just think we're too far gone. I I just with the big show. Um I don't know what you could possibly do to try and salvage him at this stage. But having him pinned by Shane McMahon probably isn't how I'd start if you are indeed trying to salvage anything from this guy who was in the main event of WrestleMania a few weeks ago. Like, I just... I, the whole... The, almost the entirety of how the Big Show's been booked, pretty much in his entire WWF run, but particularly since he won the belt back at Survivor Series, has been baffling. Um, but then a part of me recognises that perhaps his output and what you're getting out of him when he's not doing comedy as the showster or show Kishi or something like that. Maybe there isn't anything else there at the moment. <laughs> Maybe that comedy is where he should be. Um, Cause I certainly wouldn't push him back to the main events anytime soon, but it's just a, a very drastic turnaround for him really and 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 certainly um i think if you would told any of us who do this show that when the wwf was signing the giant this is how it would go for him and how wrong it would go so quickly we'd have been very surprised um because it's vince mcmahon um but i don't know how much of it is the WWF fault and how much of it is Big Show's fault. It's a combination of the two, but I don't really know who I'd attribute more of the blame to, but it's certainly disappointing either way. Yeah, I, I agree. And yeah, if you just look the past pretty much six six months or so, really, like I said, since losing the belt or winning and then losing the belt so in such a quick turnaround, it, it's just, yeah, just tumble his way further and further sort of down really. and I suppose like feuding with the Shane Man is still, still a big deal you're still feuding with A. McMahon but yeah then to lose quite comprehensively really and in, in a shortish match as well doesn't it doesn't really speak well and yes I suppose you could say that um, Vince McMahon is a is a fan of the the, the, the Giants and a fan of the, the, the big men but if you look at, we mentioned it earlier with the the people on the cut in the roster now, there's clearly a change from from that era. I mean, like like the radicals and Kurt Angle, all sort of not not short by any means, 
really like most most of them, but smaller sort of wrestlers around the, the two sort of two twenty two forty sort of weight range. So maybe that's the thing that the direction of the company sort of moving away f- from the people like the Big Show, and they see someone like the Big Show as maybe still see him as a WCW kind of guy, like a, another sort of WCW. Uh, big guy that they don't really know what to do with and yeah the comedy was fun and stuff but someone of sort of who's had the career that Big Show has already had you'd expect him to be yeah a main eventer still but he's just not and I think you're right I think it's both parties sort of not having the investment I, I don't think there's much I don't think the Big Show seems motivated really and if he's that that lack of motivation from him is not going to give Vincent company any motivation to invest in him so yeah not really not sure what what happens now with him no it'll be interesting to see because <sighs> you're not going to get you can't push him up the card um, you could certainly drop him take him off TV for a while um, which would probably be the best thing for all involved and Take him off TV for a while, have him try and lose a bit of weight and get a bit more of his mobility back, um, and uh, bring him back in a few months' time as maybe a surprise somewhere. Um, that's probably the best bet, really. But how we got to that stage so quickly with a giant in Vince McMahon's wrestling company is uh, is yeah beyond me. Yes, certainly. I mean, I suppose the end of this match, um, they had him carried off in an ambulance. If that's if they actually could, maybe they use could could use that as a, an excuse to take him off off TV and sort of keep him away for a while. Who knows? But yeah, it's not not looking good for him. No, and I, I do think that would be the best the best way to proceed from here, at least in the, the short term, definitely. But moving on, we have a submission match with Chris Benoit defending his Intercontinental title against Chris Jericho. Um, Yeah, so Jericho's very aggressive early with a bulldog, followed by hard chops against the turnbuckle. He took Benoit. uh, Jericho took down Benoit and went for an armbar, but Benoit was able to get out of it. Um, They fought over a tombstone attempt, with Benoit eventually hitting a shoulder breaker. Benoit goes up to the top, hits a headbutt. They battle over a few submissions with some nice chain wrestling, uh, but the Jericho uses an elbow to send Benoit to the apron. Jericho hits a springboard dropkick on Benoit. Val Venus is shown backstage. He's watching on a monitor because he'll be facing the winner on Raw. Uh, they left the ring, and uh, Benoit whipped Jericho into the steps before Jericho drove Benoit knee first into the steps as well. Back inside, Jericho hits a backbreaker, goes for a cover, probably because he's used to doing it, but of course there are no pinfalls here. Jericho's charged, but Benoit moved, and Jericho goes shoulder first into the steel ring post. Benoit tried to expose the bolt on the turnbuckle, uh, whoops Jericho's shoulder into the exposed steel two times and before hitting, uh, taking Jericho down and slapping on an armbar. Jericho gets out of, hits an arm drag, snap suplex by Benoit, followed by a body slam and knee drop 
I close line to put Jericho down. He goes for an armbar attempt again, um, which Jericho breaks by getting to the ropes. Back up, Jericho hits a leg whip tape down. He takes the knee brace off Chris Benoit's leg and uses it to go after the left knee. He uh, hits a forearm to the head using the knee brace as a weapon before Benoit comes back with a kick to the head. But Jericho counters, takes control and hits the lion's salt. Jericho locks the walls of Jericho against the ring ropes, but Benoit back kicks to the head to break free. Benoit uh, takes control after two German suplexes. Jericho looks for the walls again, but Benoit gets a hold of the knee brace and hits Jericho in the head with it. That leads to Chris Benoit slapping on the cross face on the left arm and shoulder of Jericho. He tries to find it, but Benoit pulls back on the hold. Jericho passes out and referee Tim White calls for the bell. Chris Benoit has retained the IC title after 15 minutes of action. What did you make of this? Uh, yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this. This sort of following on from the trouble that we saw with Eddie Dean and Perry in a very sort of similar vein, sort of very technical, but excellently done. Um, strong match, hard hitting as well. You, you could tell this was more than just a title match it was there was a few definitely a few behind this um like using the, the ring steps using the um, knee brace as, as a weapon like utilizing the fact that it was a submission match and not just a, a regular um match like without the dqs and, and such but um yeah lovely throughout um and i think um the right way to end it as well i think ha- having the pass out finish keeps sort of Jericho strong in that respect respect he didn't tap out so there's no sort of sign of giving up or weakness it was just the pain got too much the quick uh, the cross face is a is a powerful hold and just succumb to it basically and um but yeah uh, I was surprised sort of looking back at the times it was nearly 15 minutes because it didn't really feel like that I, I put in my notes originally this could have gone on could have gone on another five minutes easily because it just felt like it breezed by, and it, like I say, excellent match. Yeah, I think um, submission matches aren't my favourite stipulations. I think they're quite difficult to pull off because obviously, so much of the drama of a high-level wrestling match can be found within a near fall, um, and like especially for the live crowd. And sort of the general tension and atmosphere and the fact sort of the match can end out of nowhere at any time almost. Um, so they're not easy to do, but this was a very, very good one. Um, they kept going for submission finishes on each other, the, the crossface and the walls of Jericho. Uh, Benoit, obviously, is an excellent worker, working over the arm the entire match was set up the ending well, and Jericho also working on the knee the entire time as he's looking for the walls. So great psychology, which was a fantastic foundation. Um, if you're going to have two guys have a submission match, then these are going to be very high on the list for the two guys you'd want to have that match. Um, and the knee brace was smart because uh, Jericho was able to use it as a weapon, but it also led to Benoit using it as a weapon and getting the advantage, hitting Jericho with it towards the end of the match. And yeah, important distinction Jericho not tapping, passing out and hold. Um, after the Raw 
we spoke about earlier with Jericho having three matches in one night. Obviously, he's not got the Intercontinental title anymore, <clears throat> having lost it to Benoit and, and again, um, come up short here, but not tapping out, passing out instead. I think we could see Chris Jericho moving up the card very soon. Now he's free of the mid-card title. And, uh, yeah, I think that would be uh, a welcome turn of events. So moving on, we have a tag team table match with uh, Road Dog and X-Pac representing DX taking on the Dudley Boys. So unlike the tables match at the Royal Rumble, um, tag team table match at the Rumble, I should say, this match had traditional tag rules rather than being tornado, a tornado tag match, which um, I think hurt it greatly. Um, match was kind of all over the place in the early going, did a bit of brawling outside, and uh, we had a typical hot tag like you'd see in a routine tag match. And it just seemed like in the early going, they weren't quite sure what type of match this was meant to be. Eventually, Tori inadvertently distracts the ref while the Dudleys hit a diving headbutt spot. Bubba goes after Tori and allows uh, Rody and X-Pac to double-team Devon because he's distracted. X-Pac hits the Bronco Buster on Devon. Uh, they work in a false tag um, that leads to Devon taking a beating again. Bubba does eventually get the hot tag and cleans house. Road Dog and Devon brawl on the floor. and Devon gets put through the table with a pump handle slam, so he is eliminated per se. He doesn't have to leave ringside. He can still participate in the match, but once both members of the team have been put through the table, then you're, you've lost. Bubba pulls down X-Pac by the hair. He grabs X-Pac, jumps into his arms as if he's going for a Harkham runner, but Bubba is able to give him a powerbomb through the table to level the match up. Road Dog and Bubba exchange some punches with referee Mike Yoda trying to break it up for some reason. Bubba and Road Dog take exception to this. They put Mike Yoda through the table with a double hit toss. Briscoe comes down to the ring. Um, after this, uh, the Dudleys put Road Dog through the table with a 3D, but the referee never saw it as he's still down. Briscoe pulls Roadie out of the ring. Um, Tori goes into the ring, tries to attack Bubba, but Bubba grabs her. The Dudleys set Tori up for a table spot, but Briscoe punched Bubba to save Tori. Um, X-Pac hits an X-Factor off the top on Bubba and puts him through the table. Briscoe wakes up the referee, Mike Kyoda, who sees Bubba lying through the table and he gives the win to DX. So yeah, the Dudley boys losing a tag team tables match here. What did you make of this? Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was okay. Not too bad, but yeah, that the start with the, it being a, like a normal tag match with the tag wall in effect that that threw me off certainly to start off with and, and until it broke down um to being like a tornado basically once d1 went through the table it kind of became more tornado style then it got kind of going and then it was it was okay but yeah the first half of the match was just just a bit odd really and a bit, a bit bizarre um with dx winning uh, I guess it kind of makes sense. It is a nice sort of screwy finish with Briscoe and Tory getting involved. Um, but then Dudley's got their heat back at the end, I think, putting Briscoe through a table. Um, it was it was fine. It, it was nowhere near the Dudley's Hardys from the start of the year. Never going to be. But, um, but, yeah, the first half just threw me off a bit, really. And, yeah, it took me a while to get into it. 
Yeah, I definitely think it wasn't as good as the Dudley's and Hardy's tables match at the uh, Rumble. I um, do think it would have been a lot better if they didn't have the tags and did more of the similar thing from there with the Tornado rules. Um, after the tables were brought into the ring, um, the tag team rules seemed to be forgotten anyway, so why have it in there for the first place for the first half of the match? seemed seemed a bit redundant, really. Um, and I think, yeah, the referee missing the first table spot um, with the 3D was a good way to sort of screw the Dudleys over to set up a rematch down the line. Um, not that I think anyone's necessarily clamoring for more of this matchup, but it does allow them to continue to build and tease Bubba, putting Tory for a table, which will obviously, if and when that happens, will be a big moment for the crowd. Um, so, sensible way of continuing to build to that. Um, and again, the Dudleys, while they lose, they've kind of been screwed over with the referee missing the table spot. So, yeah, I think this, um, while not the best match, um, probably achieved uh, what it set out to um, which is probably the most important thing and probably a lot more important than uh, having a, a classic match in this spot which is obviously the sort of co-main as it were but just the match before the 60 minute Ironman match you don't necessarily want to have like a you wouldn't want to want, want to have like a two call in this spot you wouldn't want to have like work incredible workers um, like the uh, Benoit Jericho match uh, in this spot, you wouldn't have a work rate singles match. You want a match like this that's a bit different, a tag team tables match to sort of fill the gap in for the crowd and create some distance between that type of match and the main event that we have to follow. So, yeah, uh, another thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I, th- I think that's a great point that this was the match that had to be match the one before the Iron, Iron Man match, none of the others would have really worked. Maybe Shane Big Show, but no, yeah, for its placement. And then, as you say, for the continuation of the storyline, I think in that respect, it did work. Just a little bit odd with the start, but yeah, makes sense <coughs> overall. So it's time for our main event of the evening um, The Rock defending the WWF Championship against Triple H in a 60 minute Ironman match with Shawn Michaels as the special guest referee. Um, Hunter sent Vince, Shane, and Stephanie to the back before the match, saying that he wants to make uh, history in front of these people by himself. So I will pause um, after half an hour so we can talk about the first half of the match rather than trying to do the whole 60 minutes in one sort of review afterwards but makes sense yes i'll get through to the um 30 minute mark here first so rock and hunter go nose to nose trash talking um as the match began uh they spent about a minute just doing lockups and stuff uh rock grabbed a headlock hunter hit grabbed a wrist lock and rock went back to the side headlock Rock hit two shoulder tackles, then a roll-up for two, and Hunter bailed to the floor. Hunter stalled on the outside for about a minute before getting back inside. Rock punched Hunter again, leading to Hunter bailing to the outside again. After Rock grabbed another headlock, Hunter got some momentum following a clothesline. Hunter got an armbar to kill about another minute, followed by an- another armbar takedown. 
Uh, Rock came back with some punches before Hunter hit a kick to the face. Uh, but the Rock came back, countered. He hit a rock bottom almost out of nowhere for a pinfall just after the 10-minute mark to make the score 1-0 to the Rock. There's no rest period, so they quickly went brawling up the aisle to the entrance with the Rock whipping Hunter into the steel grating. Hunter sent Rock face first onto the barricade and continued uh, the to brawl outside the ring. Hunter missed a knee attack when the Rock moved, so Hunter's knee hit the barricade. Back at ringside, Rock hit a suplex for a two count. Uh, Rock whipped Hunter's knee into the ring post. Uh, he sent his knee into the steel steps before hitting a clothesline and slapping on the figure four leg block on Triple H. Uh, nice psychology as he'd been working over the knee for a good few minutes prior. Hunter was in the move for probably a good full minute before finally turning it over and uh, Rock got to the ropes. They left the ring again after Hunter hit a clothesline. They dumped him over the barricade and we were at about the 20-minute mark. They're brawling into the crowd and Sean joins them. Hunter hears a back body drop on Brock to send them back over the barricade to ringside. Back in the ring, Hunter hits a suplex followed by an elbow drop. They battle on the mat with uh, Triple H forcing the Rock's shoulders down for several near falls. The Hunter sent the Rock out of the ring. Hunter goes after him. And again, Rock is able to get the advantage by whipping Hunter's knee first into the steel steps. Uh, um, back inside, the Rock wrenched again on the left knee, with, hit a knee breaker and went for the figure four again, but Hunter kicked him off into the ring post. Uh, when the Rock bounced back from that, Hunter was up, he hit the pedigree, and that was enough to level the score to 1-1 at the 25 minutes mark. Hunter followed with a choke. Um, Rock then tried to whip him into the ropes, but as he did, Hunter was able to grab an inside cradle and... At the 26-minute mark, that was enough for another free count, so Hunter takes a 2-1 lead. Rock gets back up and he connects with some punches. Hunter pulls Rock out of the ring. They go up the aisle again, and Sean follows them. Rock whips Hunter into the steel that's part of the set and connects with a clothesline before Hunter hits the suplex on the floor, and they're both down for about a full minute. Um, they did explain on the commentary that Sean wasn't going to count them both out, as it would be a bit pointless count them both down I should say it'd be a bit pointless um, it wouldn't do a lot for the score but I just think well if you start counting if one of them gets up before the 10 then uh, it's not it's not so pointless is it but they, they didn't they didn't bother with that um, the Rock stumbled towards the ring first and Hunter caught up Rock gave him a belly to back suplex on the floor this stage they passed the 30 minute mark but I'll keep going until the next fall they're still battling the floor, and Rock hits a back body drop on the floor. Uh, Hunter, th then they're back inside um, the ring, and Hunter hits a face buster uh, and a pile driver for the pinfall. And at the 32-minute mark, Triple H takes a 3-1 lead. And there I will pause uh, Dan. 3-1 to Triple H, just past the half-hour mark. What are you making of the main event so far? I'm enjoying it. I I I I enjoyed it. The start was really good. I think it was a sort of a slow but understandably sort of slow sort of simple start with the sort of rest hold not rest hold the sort of headlocks and transitioning into sort of arm locks and and such. Um, sort of traditional sort of style wrestling match to start off. Um, 
that being said, they were still trying to go for near falls and quick falls. Still, and it was they wasn't just just doing sort of a slow progression of of wrestling mat, of moves to to buy the the early sort of time, and then um, Rock going one um, nil up in just eleven minutes actually surprised me. I didn't think they'd go for a fall that quickly, because if you think about it, if it, if it was just a normal match, would Rock Triple H really only go eleven minutes? Probably not. It probably would go to twenty twenty five minutes as a main event. So yeah, that that sort of took me by surprise that they were going for falls that quickly. Um, and then the transition after that fall with the brawling and the ramp and stuff again that sort of to me by sort of pleasantly surprised because again being still early on in the match they could have easily sort of um, kept it sort of quite low key and just to make sure they didn't sort of um, gas themselves out too too quickly but no they were actually pretty go- going up at it sort of quite solidly in those these sort of next 20 minutes and then with um Triple H leveling up and then going quickly two two one ahead with the small package. That was that was a, a nice quick way to to take the advantage to Triple H's side. And then you have to think that the Rock's almost now chasing to to try and win his title back almost within the match. And then to go three one up with the with the pile driver. And then it puts the Rock in more jeopardy. And I think doing that was a smart move because it gets the crowd invested in in the in the match even as long as it's going to go because they know that Rock's now really against the clock to to get at least two falls in. Yeah, I think um, I agree pretty much everything you said there. Um, Really slow burn opener, which is perfectly normal in these circumstances. You've got 60 minutes to go. You better pace yourself. Um, But I agree. It was a bit startling, um, I thought, the pinfall just around the 10 minute mark up following a rock bottom like it had very much been the slow burn and 10 minutes as well we didn't get a whole lot of action in those 10 minutes and um a lot of stalling and chain wrestling and locking up and stuff like that so for triple h to be pinned following just the one rock bottom um was probably a good way to pop the crowd and get them fully invested in the main event if they weren't already but i i i don't know it just i mean we've seen these two wrestle so many times um and i'm not sure uh you get a pinfall after that amount of action all too often so to to do it in a big pay-per-view main event that's going to go an hour is maybe a bit counterintuitive but I do understand the logic of doing it early in the match to pop the crowd and get them on side yes it, it, it makes it makes sense to sort of almost sort of have a fall every sort of 10 sort of, yeah sort of 10 15 minutes or so and that's kind of what they've done but I mean what we're half halfway through and we've had sort of four falls so you know, including a quick sort of inside cradle straight off of the second fall so it was really sort of three, three sort of decisions in that sort of half now, which is which you'd kind of expect to keep keep the crowds interested in. Because like I don't I don't think they could have done what uh, Brett and Sean did and, and keep it at um, keep it scoreless for the whole for the whole hour. I don't, I don't think um, wrestling in the year two thousand is conditioned to that now. I think you need to have a sort of 
falls and these exciting sort of pop moments throughout the match to keep it going. And I think they've done it quite well up to this point. And and these two, I mean, credit all credit to them and no disrespect meant by this, but these two are, are not Brett and Sean. Um, no, true. <laughs> two, two different workers, um, shall we say. Um, so I, I think you're right in that having the full early as well is, is a good indication to the crowd. Like, okay, we're not doing that. We're not doing the 60 minutes nil-nil gimmick that you may have seen before and everyone remembers. So it does make sense from that aspect. And I, I think after that, the crowd were probably more into the match following that than they were before it. So, yeah, it, it did work. So I do understand the logic of it. Uh, um, back underway with the main event. Hunter's still firmly in control until The Rock uh, comes back with a clothesline. But Hunter cuts him off again, knocks him down with a back elbow to the face. Hunter goes up top. Rock takes him down with an arm drag off the top, puts him in the middle of the ring before working him over with some punches and a cradle for two. Hunter hits the high knee to the face for a two of his own before hitting, slapping on a sleeper lock. This lasts about two minutes, um, but to be honest, it looked more like a weak chin lock. He tried to cheat using the ropes, but Sean kicked him off. Hunter argued with Sean. Rock got back, so the Rock got back up, hit a belly to belly side suplex and a DDT for the pinfall to pull one back to make the score 3-2 to Triple H as we approach the 40-minute mark. So Rock brought Hunter out of the ring, sends him into the timekeeper area, hits him with the ring bell. Well, doesn't hit him with the ring bell, sends him into the ring bell, I should say, otherwise it would have been a DQ. It was not. Hunter sends Rock into the table as well before grabbing a chair, trying to hit the rock with it, but Michaels takes the chair away, warning of a disqualification. Rocky whips Hunter's shoulder first into the steel steps before hitting a neck breaker on the floor and sending him back into the ring. Hunter hits a kick to the ribs and gets hold of the chair. He nails Rock in the head with the chair on purpose, deliberately in front of the referee, blatantly. And Shawn Michaels, to his credit, he calls for the disqualification at the 43-minute mark. So the score is tied up at three apiece. Moments later, though, Hunter just rolls a rock up um, and has his feet on the ropes. Sean counts the pin and doesn't see this, but Hunter um, gets the pin just after the chair shot and Triple H takes a 4-3 lead. Lawler's going crazy on commentary, talking about how clever Hunter was, deliberately giving one fall away so they can get one back straight with the chair and doing a lot of damage with the chair shot, which will bode well for the rest of the match. And to his credit, the rock came up bleeding quite a lot from the forehead following that chair shot. Hunter slaps on the sleeper again. And after about a minute, um, the rock fights back with some punches and gets out of it. But Hunter's able to just lock on the sleeper again, takes him down to the mat. The rock hands goes up and it goes down. It goes up again and it drops. And finally, one more time, Sean lifts his hand up, rock hands dropped, and Hunter wins the fall by submission. As we approach the 48-minute mark, Triple H extends his lead to 5-3. Michaels eventually had to grab Hunter by the hair to make him break the sleeper hold. Hunter shoves him, and Sean shoves him back. After a shoving match, they shove back and forth a few times. The rock fires up with some punches, and followed by a whip into the corner. And Hunter bumps over the top to the floor. Rock um, trips him on the top rope and hits a superplex, but only gets two. 
The Rock hits some punches, followed by a clothesline that sends Hunter over the top to the floor. Um, follows Hunter outside and uh, catapults him into the steel ring post before he whips the Rock's shoulder first into the steps. Um, Hunter clears off the announce table and brings Rock over to the table. He teases Rock bottom, but the Rock counters. He hits a pedigree on the table, which did not break. Rock calls back into the ring and Sean counts. Hunter is counted out and makes the score 5-4 as we hit the 56-minute mark. This is the cue for Vince, Shane and Stephanie to walk down to ringside. We have a brief break while uh, Triple H is allowed some time to recover, but Michael starts to count him out again. But Tri- Triple H is able to get back in the ring before the 10 count, keeping the score at 5-4. Back in the ring, Rook hits a clothesline on Hunter in a DDT. He punches Shane and Vince as they're on the April apron trying to cause a distraction um, before hitting a spine buster on Triple H. The Rock hits the people's elbow to a huge ovation from the crowd and covers for the pinfall. He's leveled the score. It's 5-5 with less than two minutes to go on the clock. Shane McMahon pulls Shawn Michaels out of the ring, so Michaels punches him and punches Vince too. Road Dog and X-Pac are out. The Rock punches Road Dog before Sean Michaels gets on the apron trying to get back inside the ring and the rock is whipped into Sean, which Sean, which means Sean has to take a bump from the apron into the barricade. The rock then hits a rock bottom on Triple H um, before all the heels take advantage of Michaels being down to attack the rock with stumps. Suddenly we get an obscure, mysterious video playing featuring three little girls singing nursery rhymes. They say he's here and uh, talk about someone coming back from the dead. And suddenly... The Undertaker is back. He's here with a new look and he's wearing, riding a motorcycle down to the ring. He enters and the crowd go absolutely crazy. Hunter hits Rock with a pedigree on some chairs in the meantime, while Undertaker gives Shane a chokeslam and the fans are going absolutely nuts. Undertaker decks Vince with a punch. He hits a chokeslam on X-Pac and a punch to Road Dog. Stephanie goes in the ring and Taker grabs her by the throat. But Hunter saves his wife. And the Undertaker comes back and gives Hunter a chokeslam just as Sean got back on the apron. There's about two seconds left on the clock as he sees the Undertaker give Triple H this chokeslam. So Michaels is back in the ring. Uh, the buzzer goes off as the Undertaker hits Hunter with a tombstone pile driver. So the buzzer's gone. That should have been the end of the match. But then Sean Michaels rules that due to the interference of the Undertaker that he saw, there has to be a disqualification fall in favour of Triple H and against The Rock. So after the buzzer is announced, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H, took a 6-5 lead to become the new WWF champion. So Sean goes to the uh, ring, ring announcer and we hear the official announcement for the crowd who are a little confused and baffled at the result here. So the official announcement is as follows. As a result of a disqualification due to outside interference, the winner of the fall is Triple H and the winner of the match 6-5 and new World Wrestling Federation champion Triple H. Michaels put the title on Hunter and left and we had some manic laughter from Vince as the show goes off on the air. What did you make of the final half an hour of our main event and the uh, return of The Undertaker? Well, first off, well done for getting through that last half an hour because that was hectic. So, <laughs> well, well done on keeping up with the play by play for for that. Um, I enjoyed it. I I really did talk, picking up from where where we left off. 
um, seeing that there's someone someone actually employed a strategy in in this match, not apart from just being on the defence and going so with Triple H, um, purposely getting disqualified with a chair shot, and then but then instantly getting the pin to negate it. Lovely way to show like he's his sort of ring general sort of persona and uh, um yeah there's more 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 strategy to this match than we'd previously seen before um and then you're yeah, going two falls up again with the with the with the sleeve hold again putting rock in the jeopardy for the last sort of 10 minutes and getting the crowd sort of reinvested in the match where they could have possibly fallen fallen off their concentration with it was really good um yeah then the rock fighting back to to level in the last minutes only to be thwarted by a questionable dq decision right at the end with the return of the undertaker um great match all the way through kept my interest going all the way through when i honestly thought it i might sort of it might be waning at some point they they kept me going all the way through it really really well um and sort of yeah a, a good really good way to spend the last hour of a pay-per-view i think um as for the t- return of the Undertaker, interesting interesting new look he kind of had a, a semblance of this kind of look just as he was leaving in september of last year with the with the denim stuff but then to make it a full sort of biker type gimmick with with the um big leather coat and the bike itself really interesting interesting to see sort of how that character then develops over the next sort of few weeks or so um um but yeah really really good really good iron man match all the way through yeah i mean i said it halfway through but they're, they're definitely not brett and sean but this was excellent and it was almost you can't compare it to that Iron Man match. They're the same stipulation, but it's just entirely different, isn't it? There's 11 falls here. You've got a mixture of uh, pinfall submissions, countouts, disqualifications, all thrown in. Um, and I, I mean, it just worked. It worked better than I think I had any right to. I think on paper, if you've got a 60 minute Iron Man match and you say, right, we're going to do 11 falls. I, I I hear that and I think, oh my god, eleven falls! Like I know it's an hour, but eleven, like that's a lot. But in the context of the match, it it worked. It really did, and I think that's due to strong storytelling, great work from the the three guys involved. Really, Sean deserves some credit as well. Um, also, yeah, as I said, the the variety of the falls themselves, which I think helped keep it sort of fresh. It wasn't the same thing over and over again. Strong storytelling as well, um, like like you mentioned and pointed out as well. The the fact Hunter used the chair to, uh, although he he knew he was going to get deliberately, well he was going to get DQ'd for using the chair halfway through the match. He busted the rock open and was able to get himself two falls out of it. That's just some good heel work, like really nice. Um, and you can tell that story for the next ten minutes of the. 60 minutes told up by that one spot and the fallout of it and the two falls that Hunter gets back and with the uh, sleeper hold and yeah, just really strong storytelling throughout. Um, you could tell this was sort of heavily booked and all the sort of big moments and big spots were 
carefully pinpointedly placed throughout the hour and scattered very evenly throughout um obviously it got more fra- more frantic as we built to a finish but that that's wrestling like that's how it should be you don't want to have 11 falls but have eight of them in the first half an hour it wouldn't make any sense um I think, yeah, if you were to compare this to Brett and Sean, that felt more like two sort of like, I I don't know, but that that felt more organic, I, I, I would say. And this was sort of more heavily, heavily booked and structured. But that isn't to say that on paper, I prefer one over the other. Um, this this had, this was perfect for the, the crowd it had and probably wouldn't have worked as well in 96. And there's no way that that match would have worked as well in front of this crowd as it did in 96 then. So the, the, the products of their era um, and they reflect what was going on within the business at the time. And this is just the WWF having their finger on the pulse of what wrestling fans want to see at the moment. And it's drama, it's action, it's near falls, it's twists, it's turns, betrayals um, or, or not. As it, as it is and and controversy with the with the finish and the return of the undertaker um yeah definitely a big surprise you knew something was coming when it got leveled to five five with less than two minutes to go and obviously you had uh, vince shane stephanie and dx down there as well and you thought that they were going to contrive to interfere and cost the rock one way but as it was, you had the sort of the basically the repeat of the finish of backlash again, isn't it? But it's this time it's backfired for the baby face. So rather than Austin returning when all the heels are out there and the odds are stacked against our baby face champion, the rock, we've had the undertaker come out. He's clearing house with all the heels, but this time the referee sees him, put his hands on the heels in the match and there's a DQ. And I think that works really nicely because you don't want to have this situation where you have these big main event matches um, that everyone's excited about between someone like The Rock and Triple H. Um, And the finish each month is just another superstar coming in and deciding the outcome. Obviously, someone came in and decided the outcome here, but it wasn't as simple as The Undertaker's music or little video and he comes out when he hits and he comes out on his motorbike and uh, he runs off the hills and the baby face wins. You don't want to do that time and time again. That's where it gets stale. So even if in a couple of months time, we've got a pay-per-view main event where it looks like the odds are really stacked against our baby face and someone's music hits and they're going to run in to try and help them. You don't know if that immediately results in a positive outcome for the baby face that could backfire. They've laid, they've sown that seed now. There's always going to be a doubt. So there's further elements of surprise, even when you have big interference in a main event match. It's not a foregone conclusion. I think that's really clever. I think that's intelligent booking. Um, and uh, as for the Undertaker's character, we'll talk about it a bit a bit more after his appearance on Raw the next night. But this was certainly interesting. Um, I know he's been away for a while, but he definitely needed to freshen things up. Um, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with him from here. 
So um, that brings to a close our review of Judgment Day. Uh, could I please have your overall thoughts on the pay-per-view and a score rating out of 10? Certainly. Um, overall, um, I, really, I really enjoyed this uh, pay-per-view. I think, I think it's really, really well, well put, put together. Um, to, no, quite easy to watch. Didn't feel the need to sort of pause or stop halfway through or to take a break at all. Happy just to watch it as it played out. And yeah, really, really good. Um, no, no matches at all. I would say were were poor or sort of subpar. I mean, Shane versus Big Show probably was the match I liked like the least because just because uh, yeah, Big Show not really in the best position at the minute. Shane was fine, but um, and the tag table match was. Was was okay um, with the confusing start, but again, overall, even even that sort of turned out quite well. So um, score wise, I'd probably have to go. Probably, mm, oh, I'll go. Uh, yeah, seven and a half, eight. Yeah, maybe just put it an eight. Be be more positive. Just put it for an eight. I think. Yeah, I think this was a, a worthy follow up to to backlash. Um, not as high that show i can't remember what i gave as my rating but i i hope that i don't accidentally give it the same (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah this this main event was was good and i think i've enjoyed it more now i've gone through the recap than maybe i did at the time um which often happens it it, you 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 either feel a lot more positive about it the show or you can knock you down a peg or two but Going through this, I think this was a really strong pay-per-view and uh, a really good main event that was typical WWF main event style at the moment, but stretched across 60 minutes, but they did it really well. Um, yeah, I, I think I really... Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I don't know where I'm knocking marks off, but it's certainly not backlash level really um like you I, I don't think shane and big show was was anything great i i didn't like the the tag dip in the tables match um couple of minus points here or here there but no stupid women's nonsense where with like bikinis or any arm wrestling contests and all of that rubbish um which is a huge plus from me so i think an eight is a really fair score here um, so I'm going to go with an 8 as well but yeah, definitely a thumbs up I'd, I'd, there's no need to go and watch Insurrection um, but definitely worth checking out Judgment Day with a good undercard and a, a very very good 60 minute main event which is uh, rare and hard to come by so yeah um, I think this is one of the better pay-per-views that they've had in the last couple of years um, but probably not the best pay-per-view of this year so far, which speaks volumes about um, how good this year has been on pay-per-view for the WWF. So before we wrap up this episode of the show, we have a couple of topics to discuss from the TV's following Judgment Day. So we'll start with Shawn Michaels and his explanation of what happened with the main event finish at the pay-per-view. So we saw him backstage um, immediately after... um, He'd finished refereeing the match, um, but we saw the footage on Raw. So he said that he called the match down the middle and did the best job he could. He said that uh, what he saw was The Undertaker interfering on The Rock's behalf 
so he made the only call he could. He's been around here longer than any other WWF superstar. And uh, he added that if you don't like it, that's too bad. He called it the way he saw it, and he left the interview abruptly. Dan, um, quite a blunt but fair explanation, I think, for Sean. They didn't sort of play into like some sort of contrived controversy about him favouring Triple H. I think Sean was quite fair throughout the match. He did call it down the middle. Um, he did. He didn't favour Hunter throughout. And from what he saw, although there were a load of heels there interfering, uh, uh, he he made sense within his character without needing to go full-blown heel and screw the rock here. I think they they played it off just about okay that Sean felt like he had made the right call from a moral sense. Yes, I t- totally agree. I, I think uh, Sean's explanation um, fit perfectly well with with how, how it played out. Um, no, no arguments there. There's n- no sort of hint to him being sort of heel or or any or anything like anything like that even despite sort of you could see well it was how it was written that Michael Cole was asking the questions sort of leaning sort of trying to lead him towards the I'll be you favor Triple H don't you type thing but um you know Sean's sort of as you say sort of short but blunt sort of explanation was perfect sort of perfectly executed and so you could see the justification for everything that went on in that last few minutes from Sean's perspective. I think he sort of mentioned that, yes, he could see that DX were out there, but he didn't see them step in the ring, so he couldn't call anything. He he saw The Rock hit Shane and Vince when they were on the apron. That wouldn't be a DQ, so he couldn't call anything there. He didn't see Road Dog and Xbox do what they did. So, again, because that's when he was knocked off the apron on the floor. And yet he only saw uh, the Undertaker attacking Triple H, so that's the thing he had to call. So yeah, I think that that's, that perfectly explained any kind of controversy that they were trying to hint at at the end of the match. And I think that gives Sean the out to not have to think about being dragged up ever again, really. And if he is going to, as you mentioned earlier, he's sort of resigned from his commissioner role and he's not now going to be an on-screen personality for some time, I think they've kind of written it out the best way they could with him just walking off saying that this is, this, I did my job you might not really like the result, but that's what it was. See you later. Yeah, he's basically left it entirely as a neutral, hasn't he? Because he's obviously made what he deems the correct and right call at the detriment of a babyface, but he's done it for the right reasons. Um, with hindsight, maybe, maybe the finish and the interference does detract a bit from the main event because it sort of defeats the purpose of the whole we're going to go an hour to see who the better man is concept because at the end of the day it was it was outside interference that decided that match and it was it was 5-5 like to the in theory their feud can and will continue um but from Shawn Michaels perspective I think they've they did a really good job of introducing him into the storyline, explaining sort of his absence and, and making it feel real, um, involving him in the Iron Man match for obviously sentimental reasons and a good way of hyping the match up. And then uh, him calling it down the middle as he saw fit, um, him being fair throughout, 
And although there was controversy over the interference and the finish of the match, um, you can't really attribute any of the blame to Sean himself. And he rides off quite a neutral character. And if and when we have him back on our TVs, they could they could go in any direction with him. It's not like the last time we... Well, one of the last times we saw him on SmackDown last... Uh, well, the first episode of SmackDown last year, where he ends the show by super kicking the rock. Like, if that had been the finish, I don't think either of us would be quite so positive about that match and pay-per-view and particularly Shawn Michaels. But I think the way they used him here was uh, logical and um, made a lot of sense and was well executed. So the last thing we both touched on it um, during the pay-per-view review, but is the undertaker um, himself. So obviously we have the return in the main event of judgment day, the following night on Raw, we got to see a bit more of him. So in the main event segment of the show, the rocks brawling with the hills from the uh, McMahon-Helmsley regime. We have that same video again introducing Taker before he appears on the stage on his motorcycle. He parked, walked down to the ring, destroyed the hills in the aisle, returned to his bike. He teased running Vince over, but Vince was saved. He drove all the way around the ring and then chased a bunch of hills up the ramp and away, um, clearing the path for the rock. Um, so, yeah, just again, maybe without the, the looming shadow of of a 60-minute Iron Man match to talk about. What do we make of this new-look Undertaker using the a Kid Rock American Badass song? Um, it's, it's all very different from Dead Man Taker that we're used to. Yes, very much so. He's, he's not the sort of almost sort of magical phenom kind of character now. Now he just seems like a just a just a big genuine sort of well to paraphrase the song badass that always just sick and tired of the McMahon's running everything and he's now almost like saying that now I'm back this won't happen anymore. So are we gonna get it now that anytime he has any sort of sense of injustice uh, by Triple H and the McMahon's we will now see the Undertaker sort of retort and interfere or prevent them for from running things how they want anymore is that sort of his now role he's he's almost sort of like the general sort of enforcer to stop the McMahon's doing as they please we'll see, I guess we'll see that going going down the next few weeks and months but yeah, it's definitely refreshing to see a different character. Um, do I miss sort of the 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 old sort of dead man persona? Not not really, because like I say, by the time he left, sort of last summer, it was sort of almost sort of played out and and done. There was not much more he could do. So to see him given this new lease of life with a new sort of type of character, a new sort of a new gimmick. Um, it's, could go well, could go really well. So yeah, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing how they flesh it out even more going forward. Like when it gets makes his sort of in in ring debt or return properly, gets on the gets on the microphone, cuts cuts a promo. If if if, he's, if that's what they're going to do with him, to see sort of how he's sort of going to be um, presented to us. Yeah, I, d- I definitely feel a lot more positive about the Undertaker's short term future with him returning as this new biker character, as opposed to him returning in the exact same fashion that he left in the exact same character. Um, 
I mean, it's a gamble. That was a very, very established character with a lot of sort of lore to it, a lot of backstory. Um, it's definitely a gamble to sort of dismiss that and sweep it under the carpet. But at the same time, it's the year 2000. This character probably more in tune with what the fans want from the current product. Obviously, there's a lot that remains to be seen that I could be way off there. Um, but it, on the face of it, it looks like this character could be a better fit in this in this landscape. In as we as we stand in the middle of the year two thousand, um, and it will all depend on who he's working with, the quality of the matches, the quality of the promos. Because I certainly think him riding that the motorcycle down to ringside, the music and the look, all work. It's just about how it's used from here on um really that will that will define what this era of the undertaker looks like is it is it a really short-term thing is it is this now the undertaker through to the end of his career whenever that may be who knows um but it's certainly so far a positive change um but there's a lot of unanswered questions that i'm sure we can delve into next month Yes, I think you're right when you when you say it's a gamble. I think a few weeks ago, a month ago, if you'd said, presented us with this idea that oh, the Undertaker's going to come back, but he he's going to be a, a biker and he's not going to be the dead man or anything more, we would be rightly sceptical. But I think just the couple of reactions we've had from Judgment Day and Raw suggest that the crowd are already buying into this quite well. So I think we're right to be positive going forward. And on that positive note, that will just about do it for our WWF May 2000 coverage. So, uh, Daniel, thank you so much for being on the show. Your extra excellent contributions and analysis, as always. Oh, well, th- thanks for saying so. And th- thanks for having me back on. Be- been glad to get back into the WWF footage once again. Yeah, it's always a pleasure having you on. And, uh, dear listener, I'd just like to apologise. I know we got through um the show uh now and if you're still listening i'm very grateful but yeah the delays to the show are entirely my fault obviously the the full project is full steam ahead um eric is doing a great job with ocw lacy doing a great job with ecw delays on the wwf side of things entirely to blame uh, i am entirely to blame i should say um so thank you for your patience um appreciate the people who've been reaching out on twitter and so on and facebook to check when this show was dropping um i know this is unusually late and uh it will be rectified moving forward um the uh june show will be coming um very shortly following this one so we'll be back on schedule um as we head on through the rest of the year 2000 on the WWF side of things. So thanks for sticking with me. Um, yeah, just other, other real life stuff, uh, got in the way for a while there, but, um, yeah, I'm glad to be back doing the show, back recording, having a good time, breaking down some, some wrestling and, um, thanks for sticking with me. Um, and again, apologies for the delay, but that will do it for, uh, this episode of the wrestling 20 years ago podcast and that will wrap up our may coverage for the year 2000 i have been your host chris white thank you very much for listening and until next time goodbye <laughs>